Would you open God's precious holy word to John chapter 11, and we will, God willing, finish out John chapter 11 and the overall event of raising Lazarus from the dead. I want to bring you a message that I call the unseen hand, the unrelenting will. May I share with you again something I've shared before. It was in 1980. W.A. Criswell was my hero. He was pastor of First Baptist Dallas. He spent many years preaching all the way through the Bible. And so I started building a very large library and completing doctoral work, postdoctoral work, and started that venture myself to preach through the Bible all the way through it. It took more than, it took nearly two decades. And so I started doing it again and finished just since I came here the second time through. And so I'm on the third time through. And I won't live long enough to complete that. But I have personally, this is personal, discovered these things that are truths to me. They are truths, they are absolute truths. The first time through the Bible. I, and it was the first time through, so I dealt with every so-called arguable scripture. There were those scriptures that said, that people said, and, and, and unbelievers would say in attacking the scriptures that this was not true. The Bible contradicted itself here and there, but they always based their premise on the King James Version, not on the original text of the scripture. First time through, I came to realize and it became solidified in the essence of my existence that the word of God is infallible, it's inerrant, it is absolutely true, absolute truth. In its original text, there is no contradiction, there is no fallacy, there is nothing that's wrong with it. It's perfect. I started my second time through, and it wasn't my intent, this was not a premise of mine, either of these three times. But completing the second time through, I came to realize that Jesus Christ, God the Son, was prevalent in all scriptures from Genesis 1-1 to the Revelation 22-21 and you could not escape the doctrine of the Christ wherever you were in either testament. And so the story of redemption, the blessed word of God is God's word to us about the covenant that he has made with his son
and the salvation that is ours in him and the doctrine of the Christ to me prevailed in my second time through the scriptures. It just rose to my mind and my heart. Now on the third time through, I cannot escape the sovereignty of God, the sovereign hand of God in everything. Not just here and there, in everything. The Bible says so. And so in my studies, and I spend a lot of time just in those, those texts with, in, in John, for example, in, in the, uh, in the Koine Greek. Now, I study what's called a minority text. And my basis for study is what's called a minority text. In other words, it's the early manuscripts. The earliest manuscripts. The basis, the foundation of my study. And I cannot escape because of the language and because of the truth that it presents. And it's inescapable that God is sovereign in all things. All things. The sovereignty of God is seen everywhere and it is presented in a unique way here in this passage of Scripture. The unseen hand of God, the unrelenting will of God. You cannot negate the will of God. You cannot do it. There's much talk about the will of man. May I say... There is no will of man unless God gives him that will. You didn't create your will. God gave you everything that's about you and about me. Now that's hard to swallow for some people because human pride just has a hard time. Frank Sinatra and then Elvis Presley sang the song, I Did It My Way. They were Armenian in their theology, and they are false and wrong, and they were not good students of the Bible. Maybe they're in heaven. I don't know. I hope Elvis is anyway. I, I always liked that guy. And the beautiful thing of life, when you spend your life as a disciple, as a student of God's word, the beautiful thing is the more and more you realize God saved me. I did not save myself. I didn't have a hand in it. I would have never thought of it. It would have never been my intention, nor could have had it arisen in my own will for God to save me. It had to come to me by grace and no other way. No other way. So as I make it through this third time, <laughs> I will either die or be so demented that you will have released me from my duties or, or Christ will come again. I'll be in my 90s at the pace I'm going of course, mother lived to be 101. Okay, anyway, <clears throat> I'm trying to figure out how I can elongate preaching through the third time and live that long, you know. 
Take note of the three things that I've experienced. And I can just tell you this so that you won't have to spend your life preaching through the Bible. The word of God is inerrant and infallible. The doctrine of Christ permeates every page of it. And God is sovereign in all things. Now, should I live to be 150, I wonder what fourth thing I would discover. Which leads me into heaven. And what infinite things I will discover about my God and his word. John chapter 11, verses 45 through 57. The unseen hand, the unrelenting will. Now there is a problem. When we begin reading this particular passage of scripture. So let's consider it and then let's consider the sovereignty of God. I have highlighted in red the two words many and some. That is the story of the human race. Many and some. The the truth about salvation is that most people will never have it. Christ himself said that the way to destruction is wide and many go into it. But the way to salvation is narrow and few there are who find it. How about that? Here it is again, many and some. Therefore, many of the Jews, having come to Mary, we're still here in the grieving and then the resurrection of Lazarus and so forth. And having seen what he did, what Jesus did, believed in him. Now, I want you to note this. It isn't the miracle in which they believed. It is the one who performed the miracle in whom they believed. The source of our faith is Jesus Christ. It isn't any kind of work. It isn't any kind of idol. It is Christ himself, the source of our faith. However, some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Obviously, these were opposed to Jesus. Knowing that the leaders of Israel, the leaders of the religion of Israel, were conspiring to seize Jesus and kill him. Knowing that, they went to seek out the Pharisees and report what Jesus had done. Here is Jesus in one sense and religion in the other sense. Religion will finally oppose 
Jesus. Religions are always man-made and there is somewhere something that smacks of works and hierarchy and human authoritarianism. Somewhere along the way, you have to do something else that somebody else has said you must do. And also in that religion, they will have diminished Jesus to something less than God. It's always easy to sniff out religion if you pay attention to it. And so here is religion trying to destroy Jesus. Ah, but God has a plan. And this plan has been established from before the foundation of the world and nothing, absolutely nothing will escape the attention and purpose of God and the process, the divine process of leading the world, the humanity itself to the accomplishment of the purpose of God to his glory. Finally, let me tell you what's going to happen in a million years. Having suffered through this life, you and I will have observed many disappointments. Spurgeon said this. Spurgeon said, at last when I get to heaven, three things will amaze me. Number one, I will be amazed at those who I thought would be there who are not there. The second thing that will amaze me is that those I never thought would be there will be there. But the third and greatest amazement of all is that I'm there myself. In a million years, whatever disappointments in life, I mean, we've, we've known loved ones, we've known friends, and we've known folks, and we've We've wondered about their salvation. We've been afraid and, and certainly some of them will have died without Christ and how in the world. But let me tell you, I, don't, I can't explain it right now. But my Lord will explain it that everything is happening to the glory of God. It's hard to swallow in some cases. Well, in all cases, I suppose. The world is wretched and it's crooked and it's evil. World leaders are evil and, and they, are, they are selfish to say the least and they cause pain and suffering to happen to those who they should be taking care of and they do not. And we see people who suffer even on a national scale. We wonder why these things are. My mother lost her first child. That she had four others is a miracle in itself because in losing that child, she was warned that she may not ever have a healthy pregnancy again.
She had four more. The last of us was the fattest of all of them. Just got better as it went, didn't it? Okay. Little young couple, my mother and my father, his brothers and their wives and others. Mother was in such bad shape that she could not get out of the bed and could not attend her own child's funeral. They sang a song. I think it was a trio who sang it. At the graveside, of a brother that I never knew. And that song was this. We will understand it better by and by. You don't understand things in this life because we're not God and we cannot see all hearts at all times. And we cannot see all times at all times. And we cannot understand how a former time led to this time, which leads to the next time, which will ultimately, ultimately lead to the great, glorious, eternal kingdom. God having purposed and knowing that all things are working together for our good to his glory. But we'll understand it better by and by. This is the sovereignty of God. And we collapse into it ourselves. Why, after such a wonderful thing, why are there some who will not believe, even having witnessed what the others had witnessed? And why do they want to run to those who are conspiring to destroy Christ? Why does the world twist the Christian message into something that's bigoted and even racial in these last days. Something where Christians plead and beg with the world regardless of who they are, what color they are, what language they speak, whoever they are, we're even willing for them to live right next door to us. If they would but come to Christ, how is it that people can despise the message that calls out to everybody expressing to them that we want to live forever together with them. How is it? I fall back on the sovereignty of God. Who will at the last of all things when we sing that new song will have brought us to the place of discovery where we will in that new song sing praises to him and glory to him for all things that had led us to that moment and to the eternity that follows. How is it that some, it's a problem. So what happens? Therefore, the chief priests, the chief priests, who are these guys? You see that in the New Testament, chief priests. They are... In a general sense, they are, the, they are the leaders of the overall temple worship and administration. Now, that was a big deal. 
But in a, in a narrower sense, they were, they were men, back, you know, in, in the time of the New Testament, a, a high priest did not serve his entire life. He served for some years, but he would finally give way to the next one and so forth. So the chief priests would be some who had served as high priest and had been deposed, but were still active in the administration of temple work and service. And then the Levites, and we saw this, we saw this in our study on Wednesday nights. I, I, know, I know that you'll remember it just like this when I say it. There were chiefs of families of the Levites. You remember that? They gave all these families and all those names that I had to stand here and read. So these were leaders of the chief families of the Levites and men who had served as high priest and did not serve anymore. Chief priests, they were a big deal. They had a lot of authority and power. And then there are the Pharisees who were experts, so-called experts of the law, and they were seen as men who meticulously obeyed the law even though Christ saw through them and called them hypocrites because they did not obey the law. They were also powerful. They were like a political party. And so the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council. Christ had done something nobody ever thought anybody could ever witness. And that is a man in decomposition in the, in the grave has been called forth to life again by Jesus. What are we to do? For this man does many signs. Now that's a, a Samaya, signs, Samaya. That, that word speaks of an affirmation. A sign in this language and in the New Testament, it was the signs were given for the Jews and it was to confirm Christ as from the Father. He called them the works of my Father. They said with their own, in the language that's used, they admitted that these were confirming signs. This man does many of them. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? They have set themselves in opposition to Almighty God. This is religion, you understand. Religion. Oh, don't give, don't give too much thought to Jesus. Don't think, there are other things we have to do, you know, a social gospel. We have to look good in front of the world and in front of political parties and whatever, social groups. What are we to do? For this man does many signs. If we let him alone like this, all will believe in him. They recognized the power of Christ. But here was their concern. They were looking at the Romans instead of looking at God. They were looking at the world instead of looking at God. They were considering how it's going to hurt them 
instead of how it's going to glorify God. And the Romans will come and will take away both our place and the nation. What? Our place. Our position of authority. We can walk into a place and people have to get out of the way. They bow to us. They give us the best seats. They have to do what we say. But if he keeps on like this, people are going to realize that it's all about Christ and not about us. And the Romans will take away both our place and the nation. Well, the Romans are going to do it anyway. To remove us. So their concern is political. Another thing to take note. In the final analysis, the concern of religion is political. All right. Then here comes the prophecy. However, one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest the same year. Now, what year is this? This is the year of the Passover when the Christ of God will be offered as a sacrifice. He will be offered as the Lamb of God. Isaiah 53. It pleased Yahweh to put him to death. It was that year. It just so happens that a guy named Caiaphas was the high priest. No, it doesn't just so happen. God made it so. This thing started before Caiaphas was ever born. The same year. And he said to them, you know nothing. All these people babbling about the Romans. and He says, you know nothing. Nor do you consider that it is profitable for you. Profitable. You see that word? That's an interesting word. Uh, some fetter. It means a, it means a conferring of events that come together to cause advancement or benefits for people. Here's what this guy is saying. He's saying, don't you understand? This is good. This is profitable. This is a good thing. Now look, that one should die for the people. And not all the nations should perish. The word people and the word nation are two different Greek words. To lau, that's the people. That's everybody. That's all peoples. Nation is ethnos. That's one particular nation. In this case, the nation of Israel. So look at what this guy's saying. He's making a prophecy. What year does he make it? The same year. You see, Christ is not that many days away from being crucified. That same year, he makes a prophecy. And he says, no, it's a good thing. All of these events have been working for a good thing that's a benefit. And that benefit is that one man should die for all people. Now think about that. Not just for one nation. And not all the nation should perish. Now that gets into eschatology because Israel is spared. The Jews are spared 
in the invasion of Rome 30-something years later. And they maintain their national identity, but they are finally and ultimately dispersed among the nations. Diaspora. Until, and this was all by prophecy in the Old Testament, until, because the ultimate blasphemy was to put God the Son, to reject him completely and put him to death and say all those bad things about him. So the ultimate blasphemy caused then the ultimate dispersion until God in his purpose and by his grace and will will draw them back into the land. So he says, one man should die for the people, all the people, and in the process of that, at least the nation won't perish. The nation will continue to exist. And it shows you how much of the Bible Caiaphas believed because God had made the promise in the Old Testament in his covenant to Israel that they would never perish as a people. So this guy is an unbeliever. Caiaphas is an unbeliever. But he is saying things that exactly express the will of God, the purpose of God, that one should die for the sake of the people and for the prevention of the extinction of Israel. Now this is his prophecy. Now look what it said. He did not say this from himself. He did not say this from within himself. God overtook his mind and his will. And God placed the thought, the saying, the prophecy. It's called a prophecy. Into the mind and heart of Caiaphas, who was a conspirator, and Jesus was his mortal enemy. But he exactly expressed the will of God. Events have been leading to our benefit, to the benefit of the world. Events, you know, see, you see what he said. Let me go back to that. There's that word profitable. Uh, Progressively, these events have been leading to the benefit of people. That's exactly what has been happening since the beginning of time in general and in the life of Jesus of Nazareth specifically. That one man should die for the people and not all the nation should perish. Now, he did not say this from himself, but being the high priest when? That year. That year. Of all of the men who could have been the high priest, it was Caiaphas. That year. He prophesied that Jesus was about to die for the nation and not for the nation only, but also that he might gather together into one the children of God who are scattered. Not for the nation only, but for all the elect of God, for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see that? 
He made this prophecy and this idiot didn't know what he was saying. God's sovereign will. An unseen hand. An unrelenting will. Caiaphas. That guy was the high priest that year. Now, the high priest is a busy guy during Passover. He has duties to perform. This is Passover season. And it was that Passover year. It was that year that that guy said those things. Perfectly in line with the will of God from the lips of the chief ruler of the religion of Israel himself. Not just for the nation, but that he would gather all into one, the children of God who are scattered, the church. That was his prophecy. And then the partitioning, the dividing. Therefore, from that day, they took counsel together that they might kill him. Now, I go back a couple of slides. What did they say? If we don't do something about this, everybody's going to believe on him. How will Christ die for his own? How can he be crucified? He is crucified because of the sovereign will of God. That he might die for his own, that I might be saved, that I might be redeemed, that I might have eternal life. Because as a sinner, I cannot enter into heaven. It must be put away. Absolutely. I must move from where I am into glorification, either by death or by rapture. One or the other. I can only move into that thing, that life, that realm that Christ has prepared for me in that he took all that was wrong with me, all of my sins and bore it upon himself and took it to the cross and there it died. It died in Christ and I've been raised again in Christ. How will that ever happen for me? They took counsel together that they, they might kill him. It wasn't time for Jesus to die, not until Passover. So Jesus no longer worked, uh, walked publicly among the Jews, but went away from there into a region near the wilderness to a city called Ephraim. That's about 16, 17 miles away. And there he stayed with the disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was near, and many went up to Jerusalem out of the region before the Passover so that they might purify themselves. Therefore they were seeking Jesus and were saying among one another, standing in the temple, does it seem to you that he will not come to the feast? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had commanded that if anyone should know where he is, he should show it so that they might seize him. Sovereign will of God. 
Psalm 22, Genesis 3:15, Isaiah 53, Zechariah 9, 12, and 14. My, we could go on. Daniel, who said that Christ at the close of the 69th seven-year period would be murdered, kaharat, murdered, put away, murdered. All according to the sovereign will of God because God will keep his covenant made with the son from before the foundation of the world and he will die. If you are his, he does this for you. All of this is because God has established a covenant with me and he cannot break his covenant. He will not break his covenant. If you're in Christ, he has made that covenant with you because you are in Christ. And it is a covenant that's made with, by the Father with the Son. Hebrews talks about that. This great covenant. Eternal covenant. All that the Father in John 6, remember, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. And all whom the Father gives to me, I will never ever cast them out. I've come to do not my will, but the will of the one who sent me. And this is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he gives to me, I will not lose one. But raise him up at the last day. I'm humbled. Eternally grateful. And I am in awe. That God... In his sovereign will and purpose, never stops thinking of me. Never. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He came into this world to save sinners. Maybe you're here today. And the great call of God has come upon you. We have deacons and wives ready to pray with you as you leave. You'll see them in rooms just across from here as you exit. Let them pray with you. Come to Christ. Of course you must as God calls. Maybe you're here and you're already a Christian and God leads you to come and be a part of this congregation. You step in there and let them pray with you and talk to you about it. And we'll take care of all of the details if God wants you to come and be a part of the body of Christ at Shiloh. Let's stand together and be dismissed in word prayer.